everybody. Welcome back to Pretend World's Rule, people. As always, I'm Tyler, and this is coming at you on a Tuesday after 4th of July weekend over here in the States. It's been an amazingly fun weekend. First one in 15 years I haven't had to work, which has been great, so I've been relaxing, hanging out with friends, family, just, you know, really enjoying some time away from my job, which hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, will be adjusted here pretty soon. Uh, with some new prospects on the horizon. Cannot wait for those possibilities, but it's been great. I hope everybody else has had a wonderful weekend. Hopefully you did something fun. Even if it's, uh, you know, working hard in your creative field, it's still better than working in an office, right? <laughs> Hopefully that's something we can all agree on, but it's been great. Uh, nothing new on the <laughs> on the home front since, what, I think it was Friday that I posted the uh, Regina Ting Chen episode. Nothing crazy except for a job I won't jinx that I am being considered for. Uh, it's a, a thing in this industry. You don't talk about things that you go out for if you don't have them, if you're not on set. But uh, you know, even if I don't get it, it's just good to know that that kind of feedback was given to me. So uh, maybe I'll have news. We'll see. But it was just kind of really awesome to hear. Brought my spirits up. And yeah, nothing too crazy outside of that. I'm just really excited about what we have next on this podcast. We have our Writer's Table live stream on July 18th. Uh, it's a Monday, 8 p.m. MST. And uh, for the last week of July, I am getting together the whole Resident Alien cast that I have spoken to in the last few months for a giant Resident Alien reunion live stream. So I'll have details on that here pretty soon, hopefully later this week. So keep an eye out on our social media. And while you're at it, you know, <clears throat> I never, never ask anything of this, but if you wouldn't mind, just really quick right now, taking a pause, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Just click the five stars. You don't have to leave a comment. It would help us out tremendously. But moving on from there, speaking of Resident Alien, I have a really fun guest for this week. And this week's guest is the great Elizabeth Bowen. You know her from Resident Alien, Fargo, Upload, and Woke. She spent years just developing her skills in comedic improv and theater then graduating from acting school, she really wanted to set her sights on building a reel in film and TV, and it's really starting to pay off now. Her career is blowing up, as it should, because she is just an amazing talent, and she's incredibly funny. I don't want to spoil anything else about the interview itself, but I had a blast. I can't wait to talk to her again during the reunion special, so let's just let's cut right to it. Let's sit down. Let's chat with Miss Elizabeth Bowen. My name is Elizabeth Bowen, and I am an actor in film and television here in Vancouver, BC. Aha! And you are just, like I said before we start recording, you have spots in Woke, in Resident Alien especially, Upload, Fargo, like you're just all over the place. Uh, is there one that you felt just this surreal nature working on did you feel starstruck or have you always been kind of uh even killed when it comes to that oh yeah no i guess <laughs> um <clears throat> several of them actually um for fargo I, uh, that was like totally surreal because from what i understand they'd done maybe three casting calls for it and they hadn't found um, the person they had in mind for for the role of uh, the state trooper, Sue Lutz. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this. Um, when I did find out the next day that I got it, that not only that I got it, but that I was leaving in two days for three weeks. And I was like, huh? Because I'm used to like a day here or a day there. And uh, when I showed up, on set and like Adam Arkin helped me out of the shuttle. And then I'm instantly being introduced to like Ted Danson and um, Patrick Wilson and, and all, and all these people I was working with uh, Terry Kinney and Wayne Duvall. And uh, it was, <laughs> it was very surreal. So yeah, that was, I, I kept thinking like at any minute they were going to send me home and go, just kidding. Yeah. Go back to Vancouver. <laughs> So that was a pretty, that was a pretty surreal moment. And then upload um, also was because it was an opportunity to work with Greg Daniels 
And I like love the office so much. Right. So I was like, they picked me. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. And it's, it's like an immediate shift for any actor who's trying to work. Right. When you're surrounded by people you've looked up to or watched over the years, building off of that, how did you get involved in the arts industry? For a lot of us, it's either we grew up in theater, film, we always want to do it, or we just kind of fell into it. So what's your, what's your story? How did you get involved in it? Um, well, I was in my first play when I was four years oh, old. Wow. And it was just as a, like a dancer. <laughs> it was a production of Stiltskin, and I was playing a straw dancer, uh, whatever that is. Uh, I don't know if I was supposed to be a piece of straw or just a little dancer in the straw. Um, And uh, I remember thinking, what the heck is going on? But then I remember going backstage and meeting people. And uh, I just thought, oh, like, this is so cool. And like, could I do this? But, you know, you're so little, you don't totally know. But I think starting at about eight years old, I was pretty sure that this is what I was going to do. And so uh, when I went off to college, um, I appeased my parents by doing a year or two of general arts just to make sure. Um, But then I started going to acting school. So yeah, I knew from a pretty early age that, that I wanted to be in the arts. My brother was like taking acting classes at the time and he was in some plays and I just thought it seemed like the greatest thing ever so yeah it's been a long time coming for sure wow and is there somebody you uh, I mean your brother I'm sure you looked up to but is there someone that you saw on on screen where you thought oh I want to do what they do oh it's funny I don't know that I that like I don't know that I made the connection to like watching what someone did and thinking I wanted to do it. Yeah. Probably not until my teens or something. Cause as a kid, I just thought, Oh no, I, I mean, honestly, I think as a kid, I just wanted attention <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I blame my lovely family. Cause I'm like, I, I'm the youngest and by quite a bit. And uh, it was hard to get people to like, at literally hear what I was saying, like in family discussions. So I learned quite early on that if I was like silly or larger than life or whatever, like they'd actually pay attention to me. So like, it's their fault is basically what I'm saying, but I may have gotten off. What was the original question? <laughs> if, if there was anyone that you looked up to on screen or on television. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, keep it going. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there. I mean, obviously, like through the years, you know, like people that I'm sure have inspired just about every actor out there. Like I'd watch what Meryl Streep did and think, oh, my goodness, like, is there anything she can't do? Um, Meryl Streep, who else? Yeah, but, you know, just the people you see and they're just so like open and honest and funny like you know Melissa McCarthy or or people like that like sort of anywhere on the spectrum from sort of serious dramatic actor to like a big comedic actor like Robin Williams like going how does he do it he's brilliant so would you say you you hung on to pieces of those you know those performers especially in a lot of your comedy I see you know, a lot of Melissa McCarthy's sort of like wit and tonality mixed with mm. Robin Williams, um, very like uh, assertive reactions sometimes. And it's it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's absolute gold. So like going through, uh, I never went to, to acting school. Was it mm-hmm. one of those Juilliard experiences where they just sort of broke you down and then rebuilt you? Or was it more of a use what you already have and we'll build off of, of that sort of approach. Do you remember that? It was, it was a combination. Um, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and they had a conservatory program, um, which was very like the, the teachers there, it was like, you know, Meisner and, uh, you know, like sense memory. Um, and there was also one, one teacher in particular I had who really, I remember one day in class, like, 
practically annihilated me. She broke me down so much, which is fine because she had a point. However, unfortunately, this particular instructor, whose name I won't mention, um, did not know how to put me back together again. And for the rest of the day, I was just devastated. So yes, there was there was a combination of both, like using what you remember, drawing on past events, um, but also sometimes making sure you were really vulnerable in the moment. Um, to bring up, you know, different layers and different emotions and things. I can't believe they didn't know how to put you back together again. That's a very vulnerable thing to do to somebody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was very like, and you know, I was so young. But I figure at such a young age, if I knew even then that this adult who was you know I don't know how old they were at the time maybe in their 50s that they didn't literally know how to kind of patch everything up again so I could kind of go out into the world as a as a functioning human um then yeah I hope I hope that changed since then <laughs> for other students but anyway <laughs> this is my therapy session thanks Tyler <laughs> This is this is this is why I'm here. Uh, there have been a few occasions where some of my guests have said, "I don't even know why I started talking about this." <laughs> like, I I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to. I just I I I have that face. I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think things have adjusted somewhat away from the uh, the tearing down of, to your bare soul in a lot of those academies, but I'm sure it's still incredibly rigorous. I mean, I know I couldn't have ever done that. So, I mean, after you finish acting school, what was your, you walked out of the door as you graduated, what was your first sort of objective? Did you have a, a goal in mind or was it a, I'm going to take a year off, I'm going to work, I'm going to recover from that yeah. and maybe we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I, um, I know, it's funny, I was just thinking the other day, uh, one of my friends that I was uh, at school with them we're still really close uh friends um I was thinking the other day of we did this at the end of second year so it was a two-year conservative conservatory program and then the third year was a rectory company like affiliated with the school and um at the end of our second year like when we were graduating we did like a showcase and it for agents and managers and stuff. I'm not quite sure how many actually showed up, but we were very excited about the whole thing. And I remember thinking, yeah, okay. So, all right. Yeah. I'm going to get an agent out of this and yeah, I'm just going to start auditioning and it's going to be great. Um, and I very quickly realized that at least for me, that was not necessarily the case. So uh, I just tried to focus at that time. I did some theater um, I did, uh, I did some improv and, um, it probably, gosh, it was probably like five years after, um, acting school ended that I finally got my first agent. Really? So it was, yeah, it wow. was, uh, it was a process. So yeah, my objective, I think was to get an agent and start doing all the stuff, but it was a lot more delayed than I would have liked. Oh my goodness. And I mean, you were, you were finding a lot of stuff to do in between then, but did you find paid work uh, uh, without representation? Was there any opportunity there in Canada? I'm not sure how it works in Canada, but. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, my experience has been at least for, you know, anything um, film and television wise. I don't know how it works for non-union um, because soon after I got my first agent, I actually was able to get into the union here. So um, I was always under the impression, and I have no idea if this is correct. I was always under the impression that unless it was like, um, theater that you needed an agent for sort of film and television stuff. Granted, you, I don't know if you needed an agent to say, do student films. I don't, I don't think that's the case, but, um, or short films with your friends or whatever, but paid work, it seemed to me you had to have an agent. And if I am wrong, Everyone, please tell me about this. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, if it's not, 
something they they live by it's definitely sage advice right you know if you're getting paid for something and if you have a contract for something non-union it's good to have somebody who knows the legality and the vernacular to go in and say oh they're, they're saying they're not actually going to pay you <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no and that's a whole other thing yeah I mean can you imagine trying to like what what is your experience been you have an agent yes yeah I I've found yeah. uh reps in, in different states thankfully and I've I've worked on a series of really great projects uh big and to small but there's uh there's moments where you know you choose non-union work and it's two hundred dollars for a day you're driving to another state and you're just going to do it but you don't tell your agent and you get a little scolded for it even though it's only two hundred dollars they need to know that you're out of the state or you know it's just little things where you think ah it's fine it's fine they they don't care they have so many people on their roster they're not going to notice but they notice. <laughs> right. Now, do, in, in the States, mm-hmm. do, do you have to have uh, representation in order to do most things as well, film and television wise? Or No, I mean, I, uh, I spent years, you know, I had in-state representation. I spent years trying to get uh, reps in New Mexico after I had done a movie and couldn't get anything. But then I met so many people who said, hey, I haven't had a, an agent in 10 years and I'm still working, you know but they might have a manager. So they have somebody who at least looks after them. I always think it's probably better to have something, especially nowadays, just in case they say, actually that 2K that we were going to pay, you, we're just, you know, copy credit and meals uh, right. <laughs> as a way of compensation, which is bonkers. But I want to know what your first, uh, first gig was, your first, you know, agent reps paying gig. Gig was a show called Hollywood Off-Ramp and it I don't I like I knew nothing about the business then so I don't know if they did more than a season I really uh, I I don't know much about the show (laughs) Um, but yeah it was Hollywood Off-Ramp and it was playing a bad stand-up comedian at Amateur Night. Oh that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah and it was funny because the audition was I remember I went in and, you know, I hadn't auditioned much at this point. It was maybe like, I don't know, two, two, three months after I started auditioning. And uh, I went into the audition and it was just one line and I barely had any sleep the night before and I couldn't even get the line right. And I remember the casting director was like, hey, um, look, it's just, it's one line. So do you think, do you think you can get it right? <laughs> Oh, no. I was like, oh yeah, sure, sure. So I think I did it a couple of times and I remember walking out of there going, there's no way. And I guess I was awful enough that they were like, she's perfect. So yeah, that was my first paying on camera gig. And it was very exciting and like very terrifying at the same time. Cause I literally had no idea what I was doing. Oh yeah. That the second they say action, it's like everything disappears, right? Yeah. <laughs> Your first yeah, time. And I remember I remember the guy who was playing the host of the amateur night. He was like, what, what do you, what do you want your name to be? Cause I was, you know, I didn't have like a name and I was like, Oh, I don't know. Just pick anything. So he used my actual name and I don't even know if that ever showed up. He used my actual name and I was thinking, no, I, I don't want people to think this is really me. I don't <laughs> I'm ridiculous. <laughs> I, Honestly, I'd look at the credit just to make sure they didn't put your name in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember because you can see it on IMDb. I'm trying to remember how what what my actual official role was there. But anyway. <laughs> well, I, it's it's great. You had your first experience under representation, this big gig. It goes it goes well. I mean, you you booked it, you you did it, it's out there. How long did it take for you to sort of find your uh your flow in this industry, which is it's almost paradoxical to, to ask because this industry is so unstable, right? But when did you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm able to work as an actor. Yeah, well, I remember, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but I remember about a year, a year and a half after I signed with my first agent, hmm. I booked a lot of work in one month and I was um, serving. I was waiting tables at the time. And all the people that I was on set with, with this particular movie I did, it was like a horror, it was like a super campy horror film called Return to Cabin by the Lake 2. 
Oh my God. <laughs> and all the actors I was working with, I think who were all like regularly working actors, like they were able to support themselves acting. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you have to put it out into the universe and quit your Joe job. Like you have to go out there to quit, quit waiting tables. If you do that, everything will come. And I was like, yeah. And this is not to discourage anyone else from doing it, but I went and did it. And I was like, oh, um, I haven't worked in a couple of months now since I put it out to the universe and quit my serving job. What am I going to do? So that was a real lesson for me because I decided to take the leap, but I wasn't actually able to, like, I thought just because I made this chunk of money in one month, I was like, I'm golden. Like, it's just going to be smooth sailing from now on. And obviously that was not the case because it took many, many years after that to actually be able to support myself acting. Oh, and did you have to go back to, to serving? Did you find something else to kind of tide you over? I nannied for oh, a awesome. long time. Yeah. And I love kids, but it's exhausting. Right. And it's like the one thing I missed about serving is like, you know, with the, with the, um, you know, except for like someone who has like terrible allergies to food or something, I don't have people lives in my hands when <laughs> when I'm I'm serving them breakfast and th that was that was quite fascinating nannying for so many years because I was like I am literally responsible for these little lives like I cannot turn my head for a minute something terrible will happen so mm -hmm. it was a lot of work for not much pay but it was also incredible because like you know even on your worst day like all it takes is for a kid to say something funny and you're like, yeah, I'm taking myself way too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that that helps with, you know, the the occasional audition that you you'd have where you have all these nerves, but then you see these kids living as free as they can. I saw a toddler the other day just walking around in a diaper and a popsicle just in their driveway. Careless. Does not care. It was the most freeing thing. Like, you know what? I don't care if I'm late to work. This is a good day. That yeah. was hilarious. <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah, I am. Um, I uh, nannied and I did improv where we did get paid per show, but it wasn't very much like when I was first starting out in improv, I think we made like $29 a show or something. Um, but every bit counted, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, when you got the acting jobs, it was like, oh, great. I'll for sure be able to pay my rent this month, you know, like <laughs> that $500 or yeah, yeah. <laughs> that $500 or whatever you'd get to go and do like one line on a show or something. And you're like, oh, so I know we all know what that feels like, right? It's just like oh, so yeah. hand to mouth at, uh, often. Oh, I mean, I'm still waiting on, I have it calculated on my dry erase board here. Like, oh, I'm waiting for those checks to come in. That was like three months ago. <laughs> I know, I know. And then you have to like reach out to your agent. Hey, yeah. um, I did ADR three months ago. Can I get that money? And it's like, you know, cause it might only be one or $200, but you're like, I literally need that money yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah, especially if your rep is like in Barbados or something. Like, hey, buddy, <laughs> while you're sipping on the pina, can I uh, <laughs> get that money for me? <laughs> yeah, I know it's not. I know you're just making like, like here in Canada, um, agents make 15%. Oh, they, they make the same as, I think managers in the States used to take 15%, right? Now, do they only take 10? I think they take 10 and there's some boutique agencies, uh, like I'm repped by one that takes 20 Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little heftier, but you're, uh, I don't know, there's uh there's some more safety in it. Thankfully, I know some of them might try to, to haggle, but yeah, there's still um, about 10% for, for most of the people I've heard from as far mm -hmm. as like takeaways, but you know, you're, you're nannying and you're trying to get auditions. You're trying to get jobs here and there. What I love asking this question, what keeps you happy? What is something outside of this industry that allows you to decompress Maybe it's a hobby you like. Maybe it's just going for a walk somewhere. What what keeps you um, just loosey-goosey? Right. Um, well, until the pandemic happened, I loved 
going like my partner and I love love movies we're obsessed with movies we've seen a ton of movies and so we would go every weekend to like a matinee and I've just I would say that is probably one of the most relaxing things besides swimming in the ocean for me is going to see a movie even if it's like super scary or whatever I love it like I'm so happy when I'm sitting in a movie theater so yeah I would say movies and the ocean and um reading Okay. Well, well, all right. You, you brought this out of me. What is your favorite movie? If you have one, oh, I know I hate to do it. Oh my God, Tyler, to. I'm going to throw <laughs> back at you after I'm done. I'm going to ask you what you do to decompress. Um, uh, well, one of, gosh, there's so many movies that I love, but one of the movies I really love, I've seen it maybe three times. Um, and it just blew me away was a movie from, I think it was 1998 and it was Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Oh yeah. And I just, I have no idea why, but the first time I went to see that movie, I came home and I like cried for like an hour. I literally have no idea. Cause I was like watching myself going, what, what are you doing? Why are you, <laughs> why are you crying? But it was just so impactful to me. And I just think he is such a great director. And I think a lot of his stuff is, you know, I'm sure this is not uncommon for like writers and directors, but a lot of his stuff is sort of stems from his own childhood, right? He grew up in the Valley. So a lot of his movies take place in the San Fernando Valley. And I actually got the opportunity to meet him Unfortunately, it was at a funeral, oh. but uh, I was there with a friend of mine. She had no idea who I was. She went up and she was like introduced herself and then she introduced me and I was like, oh my God. And when we walked away, I was like, do, do you know who that was? And she was like, no. And I'm like, that was Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> anyway, it was sort of this weird not totally full circle because I guess a full circle moment would be if you could ever actually be in one of his films but um yeah that was kind of crazy but yeah I I really Magnolia really made a big impression on me I just really uh, I was drawn to it what about you oh yeah I as uh that was like when you first brought it up I'm gonna ask you I had to think about it for a second because I think my favorite that I'm known for is The Rocketeer that's my guilty pleasure movie that no one ever really remembers, but it's one of those, like, if I'm having a really cruddy day, I'm going to watch that movie. Uh, yeah. But I will say, like, one of my favorite movies, and I've only seen it twice, I own it, I never really want to watch it, is The Place Beyond the Pines by Derek C. in France, with uh, Ryan oh, Gosling and Ava Mendez yes. and Bradley Cooper. I've seen that. It's, yeah. it's great. It's gruelly depressing, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a really well-made movie. Um, yeah, it's just the second you said you guys loved seeing matinee movies, it's my my partner and I are the same way. We love going to the theater, and that's like that's like my church. Um, it's yes. just a way to whew, let go of everything and yeah, uh, stuff your face. <laughs> it's stuff your face with like popcorn and chocolate, whatever it is, yes. and just completely escape. And even though you might see things portrayed in the movie that are not so great, it's just this world. We know how it is, right? You either yeah. get it or you don't. Either going to the movies is this big magical like escape, or it's like, oh, I go sometimes to keep what's their face happy or whatever. But <laughs> like, I love it. So I love that that is the same for you. Yeah, I would say if if I had to pick a church, it would be a theater. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to Alamo Sunday, ten a.m. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's another thing you you brought up. It's uh, and it gives me like chills thinking about it. Swimming in the ocean calms you down. I could you could you elaborate on that? I, speaking as somebody, I love the ocean. I love the animals yeah. in the ocean. But if I can't see the bottom, I I start to like my weird um, primal brain kicks in. Like, what's gonna get me? <laughs> you know? Oh, I still have that. Like, don't get me wrong, but I mean, like, like in fairly shallow water, like oh, okay. maybe, maybe top. I mean, I have gone swimming because, you know, when I grew up, my family had a boat and we'd go out every summer and we'd hop off the boat in the middle of like the Georgia Strait, which is a big body of water here and go swimming. And I mean, literally, 
uh, who knew how deep it was there and there could have actually been whales <laughs> swimming <laughs> underneath you for all you knew um but no i prefer i prefer like you know maybe when it's like 10 feet deep tops oh, okay. because i i want to know that within 30 seconds i could reach it a, a standing level yeah <laughs> but just the actual even just sitting by the ocean like just sitting by the ocean and listening to the the waves and whatever I mean I'm sure for most people that is probably relaxing I don't think I'm special but um but yeah that just being by the ocean is the best did you yeah. grow up in Denver yeah for most of my life I was actually born in Tampa Florida so I've been okay. you know to the coast several times and uh, unfortunately like Florida has some great beaches uh, I lived in Connecticut for a bit and those beaches aren't like the best to just lay on but I had a chance to go to um, Huntington Beach and just kind of laid by the shoreline. And yeah. it was like two in the morning. It was so peaceful. It was so great. Yeah. I totally and they agree have with those, you. They have those cool, I'm sure they have them in other beaches, but I think that was the first time I'd seen one of those bonafide, like big, like kind of like lifeguard watchtower yeah. huts kind of thing. Was that Huntington Beach? Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned Huntington, <laughs> Huntington Beach because when I was in acting school, mm -hmm. we had this um, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing um, director slash teacher. His name was Tony Carbone, and he had done, um, I think, quite a few movies in the '60s and '70s, uh, like Roger Corman films. Ooh, oh, like wow. he was in um, The Pit and the Pendulum, and anyway, he was just the coolest, coolest, coolest dude ever, and he would take us on field trips while we were working on this play. And it was with the play we were doing was uh, to Jillian on her 37th birthday. And so he wanted us to know what it would be like sort of as a family to be down at the actual beach together. Cause a lot of the play takes, uh, I think all of the play takes place at their cabin, um, which, you know, is it, is their cabin by the ocean or a lake? Cause I remember there were loons anyway, um, <laughs> but he, 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 he wanted us to know what it was like to all be together there. And so we went to Huntington beach and spent, I don't know, the afternoon there and did our lines and like did some oh, scenes wow. and it was so cool. But anyway, that's what it made me think of when you said that you went there at two in the morning. Yeah. That's such a cool bonding moment too, especially for a project. I mean, who gets to do that? You know? Yeah, no. And he would also, he would also take us out to eat all the time. And we were so grateful because we were so broke <laughs> and we're, we're like, we can get, we can get pasta and a salad. Okay. It was just, yeah, magic. <laughs> guys, they put raisins in the salad. <laughs> yeah, they put raisins in the salad. You guys, we can get more free bread. Can we take this home? Is part of you still? Is there still part of you uh, that exists where you go to some place? Say, there's like bread left over from dinner, where you want to put it in your purse or in your jacket to save for later. It d totally. I, I I've talked with several friends about this uh, lately. It never, I, I don't know if it's the case for everyone, but I know for me, like it will never leave me because I was broke for so many years, like really, you know, struggling or just getting by barely for so many years that like, and I know some people might go, well, that's just cheap. But like, I had still have this instinct, like I should find free parking if I can, because I, that's, that's, I, I don't have like, like I remember um, rehearsing this, um, I do or did do musical improv as well. My God. And we were rehearsing um, downtown and there was this place we could park and it was $5 for like a couple of hours. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, how, like, how am I going to do this? Like, like I'm literally paying to rehearse this. And we're not going to get paid much money once we do it. But yeah, like every single dollar counts. Yeah. So that will never, ever leave me. I don't think. I, I mean, it's probably a good thing, right? You know, so you're not splurging too, too much. I mean, treat yourself, but. <laughs> no, no, we do not splurge. We still live in a one bedroom rented apartment. Like, you know, because I'm like, well, it's fine. And like the rent is cheap. Like, why would we go? So there's still that thing of like, 
don't spend, don't spend money. Like you never know. And, um, which, you know, maybe means maybe I'll actually have something in my savings account if I retire one day, but (laughs) (laughs) Hey, a lot of, a lot of, um, actors who are series regulars, I mean, they're showing off their Maseratis and all this other crazy stuff. And that, that blows my mind that you know you you have this job that isn't guaranteed for more than maybe a season if you're lucky and then you just blow it all in six months it's crazy to me it's no it's crazy (laughs) to me too like we still drive we have an 11 year old Mazda and it works perfectly well and like I don't care like I sometimes I wonder I'm like are there people who get and you know what whatever people want to spend their money on but sometimes I wonder, are there people that get really nice cars just on the off chance that they'll have to use valet parking? Like, cause to <laughs> me, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Cause I, I don't know about what it's like in Denver, but here in Vancouver, you, you cannot own a car probably everywhere in the world. You cannot own a car and expect it not to get like dinged, scratched, scraped, like constantly. Really? I don't know if there's just some really narrow parking spots here in Vancouver, but (laughs) within three weeks of us getting our new car, it had already been like banged up or scraped or something like three times. And I'm like, this is outrageous. But yeah, so that's another thing. When I see people driving super expensive cars, like I'm sure it must be fun and I'm sure they can like give her, but I would just constantly be worried about it getting like banged up or like stolen oh oh absolutely especially in a a big city like vancouver i mean who's gonna see that happening (laughs) it's yeah you know it just disappears you go all right well i'm out a lotus i guess (laughs) i know and there are a lot of fancy cars here in vancouver for sure oh yeah oh my god it's crazy well you are my hero for having your 11 year old mazda like (laughs) still going and you haven't you know that's you're you're hanging on to everything that you uh you know had before everything blew up and it's just gonna i feel like it it takes you further because it keeps you humble you know like you're you're still you're still working and it's it's crazy yeah no it's great it's it's great but yeah i I, but i don't know i don't know about you but like i'm just i'm just very practical like, I'm like, if something works and it's not an absolute garbage can on wheels, then why don't you just drive it into the ground? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I am, uh, I'm immensely happy to hear that, especially, you know, coming from somebody who's worked so hard to get to where you are and you're still holding on to, to that. It's, uh, <laughs> I'll have to reach back out in a year and see like, Hey, is that Masa still running? You still doing? <laughs> I'm pretty positive in a year. We'll still be driving that car. The only Hell reason yeah. we would replace it is to get an electric car. Oh, that's I, I think, Yeah, but well, I mean, it, I, I think, I mean, I have to do research, right. But it's like, I think it's still a better option than like fossil fuels right like even if it's a battery or whatever like but it it does take electricity I guess you'd have to have to figure out where your electrical source was coming from if it was like from like water or yeah I honestly we have this conversation in our house all the time about debating which car we would get at some point and it's either way we're hurting the environment like there's we're there's too many of us so uh I think yeah down and dirty electric's probably the better way to go you know <laughs> just to, yeah you know and it'll save you a lot you see people standing in line at the gas station and you're like oh, i'm charged up 60 percent. i'm good <laughs> yeah no. so do, you, do you have an electric car no i wish i'm i'm leasing yeah. a, a hyundai that i had to pick up during the pandemic because i didn't have any other option so the monthly payment is really nice to see but uh it's it's allowing me to drive to and fro all over the state for auditions and and sets things like that as long as it doesn't break down i'm happy like i'm good yeah yeah because transit the at least at the start of the pandemic the idea of taking public transit was so scary to me because you know people weren't wearing masks at first and whatever so yeah definitely i know people who swore they'd never get a car who got a car during the pandemic because they're like okay well because it's just you know we didn't know there was so much we didn't know Oh God. Yeah. Can you imagine going back two years with the information you have now and trying to calm down your past self? (laughs) 
I, yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm so glad speaking of the pandemic and obviously we're still in it, Yeah. even though there are so many people out there acting like we're not, it's such a crazy disconnect for me. Yeah. Like it's like, guys, it's still here just because they're <laughs> dropping mandates, which I don't know why, like it's very much still happening. But um, yeah, I was, uh, I've, I've always thought, I'm so glad we didn't know two years ago how long it was going to be and continues to be. Cause I think it would have been incredibly disheartening. Yeah. I don't think we'd be, uh, I don't think we'd be talking today. We'd be so depressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know it would be, it would be unimaginable, unimaginable. Like remember when we were told, well, you'll probably have to wait a year for vaccines. And we're like, what, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to wear three masks. I'm not touching anybody. <laughs> exactly. And now here we all are. But yeah, that's another thing. I can't remember if you had mentioned that when we first started talking today, but like working on sets during the pandemic, have you, have you done that? Oh yeah. I, the first time I was on, it was, yeah. A bigger one. It was um, the show Walker in Austin last summer. I was Mm. on set and the amount of nasal swabs I received for a one day shoot. I felt so violated, but happy I didn't have COVID. It was just one of those, I don't know. It, you feel like E.T. with all of the crew members coming around you with masks on. and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's so wild, huh? I was trying to figure yeah. out at the end of this season, because in season one, we did all but one episode in the before times. So oh, we, only wow. had, we only had one episode left, our finale episode. We had two and a half weeks left of shooting when we had to shut down for the pandemic. And so, gosh, six months later-ish, we, we shut down in the middle of March and then we came back to it um, when like September of 2020. And I remember that first experience, I don't know what your first experience on set during the pandemic was like, but I was, I remember I showed up on set and granted the weather was warm, but I did not stop like nervous sweating, flop sweating oh, for about yeah. two and a half hours because I was like, what are we doing? Because no one was vaccinated then. Um, you know, there really, we were just relying on like the masks and the protocols and the testing. So what was, what was it like for you, the first sort of pandemic job you did? Yeah, it was luckily uh, the first one I had was something in town and it was an industrial for the, uh, for the Pepsi center where they hold all the basketball and hockey games. And it was, it was us in a warehouse. We had to sit six feet apart. We had a nasal swab, right? We walked in masks the entire time. And then we were just acting in front of a green screen and then they just put us all together in editing. So you had to like pretend oh. as if you were in this big get together. Cause even if you didn't have COVID, they didn't want to chance anything. Right. Uh, and it was absolutely terrifying. I remember sitting, I was reading, uh, um, Jenna Fisher's book from the office mm-hmm. of like ha- how she became an actor and her career and everything. I sp- like sped read through that entire thing because we didn't talk to each other. It was so weird. Like none that of us knew what been, to do. That, that, I mean, that almost sounds like a commercial audition where you're the only actor in the room. Yeah. <laughs> or you, do you know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. and you're having to like react to all these people or, you know, when you have an audition, I don't know about you, but like the bane of my existence in auditions is eyelines. Yes. Oh my God. I hate them so much. Cause you're just like, and, and then, and, and then you're always like, I know, I know casting has their reasons for picking mm-hmm. the scenes they do, but sometimes they pick a scene and I'm like, did you have to pick a scene with five other characters in it? And you're just like this, <laughs> like I saw someone um, on uh, social media uh, here in Vancouver, they put up um, sort of like a post just saying like, hey, for sale. And I don't know how they'd come across these things if they'd bought them in a thrift store or something, but they would bought a bunch of mannequin heads and they would use them. I know it sounds crazy. They would use them for auditions, for eyelines. And I was like, that's brilliant. Oh my God. You know, I don't know if they did this, but I'd probably put like a little like... <laughs> post-it note or something on it like oh that's oh that's Dan and that's so-and-so okay great yeah but and he had a bunch extra so he was selling them 
And I'm like, why did I never think of this? Cause it's mm-hmm. like, especially now, cause we're doing, you know, self tapes, so, like everything by self tape, yeah. you, you can set up your own creepy little <laughs> arrangement and no one's going to know. I, <laughs> I'm not going to tell my partner about any of this. I'm just going to go and buy a bunch of like <laughs> doll heads and then create a halo to put around my, my little <laughs> tripod there. Cause I did the same thing you do. I put post-it notes and I just draw like their name or I put smiley face, frowny face. If it's like somebody I hate or somebody I really love. Yeah. And it like, it works for the scene, but it's hard finding a connection when there's not a human being or much less 10, five, you know, just around that small camera space. So I am yeah. completely on your side. Whenever I go, I had my first in person audition for a commercial. There's three different eye lines. And I almost lost it halfway through. I hope I'm doing this right. Uh, I know. <laughs> I look in the and wrong then place. That becomes, and then that becomes the thing yeah. that you're focusing on. Got to get those eyelines right. And you're like, well, it's kind of more important <laughs> to show them you can do it. But I become obsessed. I'm like, well, if I can't get the eyelines, I can't do it. Forget it. Don't. But it's funny. <laughs> a friend sent me, and he got the person's permission before he sent it. A mm-hmm. friend sent me another friend's uh, of his self tape for a commercial where he has to pretend he's at a concert and like freaking out. It was so amazing because it was so awkward, but I like really loved it. Yeah. He's like going like ah, and like looking around, and, like dancing or whatever. And I so felt for him because we've <laughs> all been there where we're having to do this insane stuff. Yeah. where we're having to react like we're in a crowd or in your case when you're doing the industrial like literally you're acting by yourself but you have to pretend you're acting with other people like oh yeah. it's hard it's a lot it's a lot and it, I mean it sounds like you know we were talking about like self-tapes and everything post-pandemic or I guess uh while we're in the pandemic did you have an in-person audition for for Resident Alien or was that a self-tape submission like I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how that audition process went because that was right before everything just you know well yeah because so I auditioned for Resident Alien in July of 2018 oh my god yeah wow so we I had my audition and then I remember I don't know I found out like a week later I got shortlisted and I was like there's no way for a role like this that they don't want an in-person callback. So I was like, oh, they're just shortlisting the people they want to see when they come to town. And so, yeah, maybe like five, five weeks after my initial audition, five or six weeks after my initial audition, I had the callback with um, Chris Sheridan, who is our showrunner, um, and David Dobkin, who directed the pilot episode of Resident Alien. So yeah, that was pretty intense because you know, we're actors, like, even if we're going out for something that doesn't like thrill us, we still really want to get it. (laughs) Right. We want it. We want to hear someone say yes. And we want to make some money. Um, But when, you know, we all get that chance to audition for something that we really, really want. And that's like a whole other level of nerves, right? Because you're like, (laughs) I want this so badly. But I remember as soon as I read as soon as I got the audition for um, my character, I was like, I want this so bad. I know I can do this. I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And so when I got shortlisted, I was so terrified that the callbacks were going to be when my partner and I were out of town. I was like, oh, Murphy's Law with this industry, right? Yeah. Like, you want to book something? Go out of town. Yep. Take a vacation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I remember looking up, like, it was like a month before I even had the callback. I remember, and I didn't even know I had the callback. I just knew I was shortlisted. And I remember looking up seaplanes and ferry times, whatever, because I was like, it doesn't matter if we're out of town. I'm going to find, like, the nearest town that I can, like, jump on a seaplane or something and, like, get there because there's no way I'm not going to this callback. So. I had, thankfully my callback was two days before we were supposed to go out of town. Oh God. So doing, <laughs> doing that. Yeah. And so then during our vacation, that's when I started hearing from production and I was like, Oh my God. So it wasn't a very relaxing vacation, but it was a happy news vacation. 
<laughs> that's uh, I am so happy that it didn't happen like the morning you were leaving you know one of those last minute scenarios <laughs> yeah no it was literally on a Thursday and we were heading out of town on the Saturday so I was like I really felt like I got to have my cake and eat it too yeah you know and you you have embodied like one of the most endearing characters in television of recent memory I mean she's Liv is one of my favorite characters. My partner and I watch mm-hmm. the show, you know, if we're having, it's like The Office. We'll put an episode on in the morning before we go to work and watch a couple scenes. But uh, there is a moment you had, I think it was in this, the most recent season where uh, Alice's character, Darcy, is, you know, there's a guy she's going to flirt with down at the end of the bar and you guys are yeah. doing this little play thing. Uh, yeah. And I think you tell her like, oh, sorry, man, we're out of shirts. And the way you delivered, oh, damn it. I we had to rewind it three or four times. We were laughing so hard because it was just so you. I, I will say you make us laugh more than anybody on the show. So I do want to thank Aww. you for everything you bring to that character. There's just um, I don't know. There's something that I almost connect with as somebody who is trying to grow their career as an actor because you know Liv is uh, an incredibly like um, talented. She's she's an intelligent. A law enforcement official who's never been really you know like looked at as such and she's climbing the ranks so it almost gives us this uh this connective tissue of inspiration like oh you know what I'm gonna work my butt off too it you know maybe I can get to to that point in my career someday so it's just like sitting down and talking to you and hearing about your journey through Resident Alien is awe-inspiring to especially myself somebody who like you said actors we uh it's most days of just no should I be doing this maybe I should stop but the second you say you're going to stop something pops up always it's always, so weird yes. <laughs> it is so weird yeah Liv is the underdog that maybe we all feel we are as actors yeah while we're finding our way in our careers for sure yeah and I uh I, I just realized I'm running short on time I, I'll wrap up my questions and get you out of here, get you back to relaxing. Um, <laughs> no, but, I've got to go do ADR for, um, I've got to go do ADR, I think for episode 10 or 11 of uh, season two. Oh my God. Uh, listener, she's holding up the script and showing me all the spoilers. So you're really messing out on this. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Legal. Yeah. Don't come after me. <laughs> so uh, last few questions I have, I have about three. Um, sure. the, the longest one, the rest are really quick, uh, longest would be if you have a party story you could share with our listeners. So party story being, um, not something that happened at a party, but a story that you would more likely tell at a party, whether it was something that happened in the arts industry while you're working, maybe something you experienced in life, but something that made such an impact that you would definitely tell it at a party. Oh my goodness. I'm trying <laughs> to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think what my party story would be. It's been so long since I've been to a party. Um, (laughs) Well, I did used to work um, at this really crazy, uh, and I'm not, I won't, I won't get too much into it because I'm still trying to decide if I want to like do something with this story, but I worked at this like loan financing company as a receptionist. And the stuff that happened there was crazy. This was someone who was running this SBA loan financing company who who was in debt himself. So a lot of my job was dealing with creditors who were screaming at me because he hadn't paid his bill. Meanwhile, he's giving people advice on how to do chapter 11 stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. And there was just all sorts of crazy stuff that would happen. And there was, um, yeah. So I'd say like, I don't know if that's my go-to party thing because it's such a long story, but like that's something, if I'm somewhere like we're having a good time or it was like a wedding or something, I don't, I haven't told it in a long time, but that's probably would be my go-to party story. Yeah, it, you know, it, it comes off almost like the uh, description of a dust cover over a book. And then when you open mm. it, there's so many other pieces inside of it. So that's that's perfect. I love it because we've all worked those really terrible jobs, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> to, to try and just get something going. Um, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. That 
definitely qualifies as a party story. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> moving on from that, which is kind of a, a fun segue because we're going from somebody who was giving financial advice to somebody that, uh, you know, he definitely wasn't qualified for doing that, but no. you are qualified for giving any advice to our listeners. Now, I do want to ask if you have any advice for uh, those who may be listening who are in the arts industry trying to keep going, or maybe they are just now starting out. Do you have any uh, word of advice that would maybe help them stick with it? Yeah, well, I know, and I'm sure a lot of us feel this way. I know for me, even when it was like so long between jobs and, and, you know, so disillusioning, you know, you'd have so many auditions and like, you wouldn't even get a pin or you just wouldn't be getting any feedback. And I, I think it's important to have that thing inside you, you know, it might sound corny, but believe in yourself, like know that this is what you want to do. And you just got to keep going. I had a teacher, a dance teacher, in a movement teacher in acting school. And I remember he was telling us about um, how many talented friends he had that were not working and how incredibly talented they were. And basically to get over ourselves right that second, because it didn't matter if you were talented. It didn't matter if you thought you could do anything. The two most important things, and this has always stuck with me, is persistence and determination to just keep going. You know what you can do. You know what you have inside you that you wanna share. So don't, you're gonna get so many no's, we all know that, you're gonna get so many no's, but one person is gonna say yes. So just keep going until you hear a yes. And then you might get a bunch more no's, but then you'll get another yes, you know? So yeah. I would say, believe in yourself. If this is really what you want to do, don't, don't give up. I love that. I, God, I wore the wrong shirt today. I have a shirt that says don't give up that I made just for, <laughs> for days like that. Yeah. <laughs> but we no, don't know it's, what that's like, right? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely right. I, I listeners, I hope you, you took that with you because right now things are really ramping up and auditions are going through the roof. So just keep sending them in. Um, second to last thing. I wanted to ask if there's anything I can promote or any shout outs you wanted to give with this episode could be um, resident alien could be something you're working on could be a charity you really love. Is there anything that I could promote with this episode? Oh, well, I mean, I think I would always, uh, you know, besides resident alien that that's coming up, I don't have anything specifically that's like going to be coming out soon or anything. So I would say I'd want to give a shout out to, you know, if if you if you have a couple of extra dollars to donate money, um, really consider. I, it, it's very personal for everyone, but I know for me, uh, when I donate money, uh, one of the things that I focus on and is anything that benefits um, women uh, and some men who, uh, escaping domestic violence, um, children. Um, yeah, I just always think it's important. Uh, look, and this is what charity is about, but but if you have a couple of dollars that you can give to to think of in your world what you consider to be the most vulnerable people in society who need your help the most. Yeah. I don't no. know. So maybe no, that's, that's what I'd want to do with my shout out. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect because it's not it's not one specific organization. There's there's a myriad of those, especially around the world right now. So you know, listeners, take your pick and and donate because you don't need to have 16 different streaming options for a month. You can <laughs> shell out some money to different places and, and help those in need. So I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you for, for shouting that out. Uh, oh, last yeah. thing, I, I love doing mm -hmm. this for, for every episode, but I do want to say thank you again. This has been so much fun chatting with you. Before I stop uh, this recording, yeah. uh, I have, you said you've seen movies. You love movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Wayne's World? I have that it's been a long time. I think I've okay. only seen it once. Okay. It's in my it's in my constant rotation. Uh but okay. do you remember the silent one, two, three point? And then they would do their uh do their scene. 
Well, in this no. case, it, you don't. It's okay. Okay. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I think his name is Terry, one of their long haired crew members. Uh, yeah. But when I, I'll do a silent one, two, three. And then when I point to you, uh, you have to give us your best awkward goodbye. Could be verbal, oh. could be nonverbal, okay. could be both, which is really hard to do, but some people can pull it off. Uh, I'm just going to do one, two, three, point to you. And then when I point, give me your best awkward goodbye. Think you could do that? Okay. How, lo- how long do I have? Once you do the one, two, three, how long do I have to perform my awkward goodbye? As long as it needs to be. Let's say for the sake of your time, 10 seconds maximum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Okay. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. And. I love you. (laughs) 